God, you are so gracious and so merciful. And as we were talking about a little earlier, Father, we come to you not on the basis of anything good that we have done, but on the basis of your grace and your mercy. And one of the amazing things you've given us, Lord, is your word. You've given us a way to hear your voice every time we open it, if we'll just listen. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to listen today. Just help us, Father, to have ears to hear, to have hearts that are open, and to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you know, I hardly ever, I notice this when I go back and listen to the messages, I, I don't listen to the whole thing, but just to make sure the recording went well and all that before I put it up on the website, um, that I never mention the title of the message. It's on the bulletin, it's, it's on, the, on the PowerPoint, and this week's title is Blind Fruity Hypocrites. I was a little proud of that one. I don't know why. I was just looking at what we were talking about, you know, the blind leading the blind, talking about you'll know them by their fruits and, and, and some hypocrisy. And, and I'm like, blind, fruity hypocrites. Oh, yeah. Thank, thank you, Rob. You now have more favor than anyone else. <laughs> I just told you all that's not how it works, right? Just... just I saw a shirt once that said, oh no, I think, do I own the shirt? That Jesus loves everybody, but I'm his favorite? Yeah, I have that shirt somewhere. You're welcome to think the same thing, but it can only be true of one of us. Luke chapter 6, verse 39. I'm in a mood today. Has anybody picked up on that yet? I'm just kind of, I'm feeling good. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth or his mouth speaks. As we continue through the Sermon on the Plain, over the last couple of weeks, we focused on loving our enemies. Uh, last week was the principles of sowing and reaping. We also talked about judgment, condemnation, and forgiveness. We're in one of those places in Scripture where every week is just more and more encouraging. This week, just to keep the ball rolling, we're going to tackle the also enjoyable topic of hypocrisy and the evidence or fruit in our lives and what that shows the world around us. So we start with verse 39. The blind leading the blind. 
where Jesus said he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? And I like this question, because if this was ever attempted, um, hopefully somebody would say something and stop it from happening. But if you got one blind person leading another blind person, do you really think they're going to be successful in their journey? In Matthew 15, verses 13 through 14, in speaking of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, Jesus said this to his followers, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And so what this boils down to is that the blind here, we're not really talking about the physically blind. We're talking more about spiritual blindness. And we're talking about spiritual blindness that can come from a number of things. Maybe it's spiritual blindness from false teachers or a false religion or anything else that leaves a person blind to the truth of the gospel. Now, this blindness, this blindness to the truth of the gospel and this spiritual blindness that we talk about, this is Satan's goal. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says that blindness in part. No, that's not. That's in, uh, that's in Romans. Well, you know, this is why you should write verses down and not just the references. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, whose minds... Uh, sorry, I'll start in verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The God of this age, of course, is our enemy, right? Satan, the devil, uh, the serpent, all kinds of names we get for him in the Bible. Beelzebub, still my favorite, Lord of the Flies, great name uh, for a horrible thing. Uh, but this is why it's so vital that we're in the word of God ourselves, because we have an enemy whose goal is to blind us. That's his goal. And what does he want us to be blinded to? Well, ultimately, he wants us to be blinded to the truth of the gospel. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. He doesn't want anybody to believe that. But when we come to know Christ as Savior... He will try to blind us to anything and everything else he can. He'll try to blind us to our own sin. He'll try to blind us to our shortcomings. He'll try to blind us to our calling and to our gifting. He will work overtime. Fine, you're going to church. You've said you know Jesus Christ, but I'm going to make sure you're not fruitful. I'm going to make sure you do not have the abundant life that God wants. Yes, you can believe you're saved and that's fine but I'm going to make sure it doesn't go any farther than that. If you've never read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, he paints a picture of this in that, on that work. I mean, it's a work of fiction, but he paints a picture of this in there that is so incredibly accurate to what Satan does to us. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. You're a Christian. That's fine. But you can still live a life of sexual immorality. Big deal. It's okay. God will forgive you. He wants us to be blind. But we get into the word of God so that we can recognize what's false 
and not be blinded by the lies, right? This is what we talked about last week in 1 Thessalonians 5.21 and 1 John 4, 1-3, that we are to test all things, to test every spirit holding on to what is good. If we are blinded to any part of the truth and we follow someone who is blinded to any part of the truth, we will all then fall into the ditch. I don't want that for you and I don't want that for me. I'm going to tell you a fun story. So on Friday, well, at least it wasn't funny at the time. Now I can look back and it's a little humorous. On Friday, after I, I played in a pickleball tournament, I'm going to tell a story about that later. Um, but I played in a pickleball tournament and afterwards I met my son at In-N-Out, the greatest restaurant on the face of the planet. Right? And there are other, thing, there are other amazing restaurants, but none of them are a double-double with grilled onions and a strawberry milkshake. Can't beat it. But I, I said, let's meet there for lunch because he was coming down to Springs to hang out with a friend of his on Friday. And so he, he calls me, he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm, I call him. He's at the restaurant. I said, I'm on my way. And I get off on a, high, on, on a street called InterQuest Parkway in Springs. It's the street in and out is on. And I turn right and I start driving the direction that in and out is and about a half mile before the restaurant, I went, oh no, I turned on the wrong street. And I turned around and I got back on the freeway and I drove five miles up the freeway looking for the street that In-N-Out was on. And I finally called him and I'm like, I don't know where In-N-Out's at. And he goes, well, I'll send you my location. So he sends me his location. It's a cool thing the iPhone does. He sends me his location. I put it in the map and I was like, you know, the little swirls and exclamation points and yeah, I was like, you've got to be kidding. So I turned around and I went back and I literally, I turned around about a half mile before in and out I got off on the right street. What was the problem? I was a little stubborn and I thought I knew where it was. Come to find out I did know where it was, but I didn't put it in my Google Maps because I thought, oh, I know where it's at. I'll get there just fine. At that moment, I was blind. And I wasn't until somebody who could see that I found what I needed to find. And, and that applies to so many things. If you're listening to a false teacher, they will lead you astray. If you're listening to the culture or the world or the news or social media or anything else than the voice that God has shared with us in his word and the leading of his spirit, guess what? You're going to be blinded and you're being led by something or someone who is blind themselves. It's not going to end well. Verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Now this promise from Jesus means that as we mature, we are to be more like our teacher. As apprentices to and followers of Jesus. We will never be better than or superior to Jesus. Instead, when we are perfectly trained, that phrase means when we are complete thoroughly, or as we come to greater maturity in Christ, we will be like Jesus, and we will be like Jesus in two ways. One of them we talked about a few weeks ago. We will be transformed and conformed into the image of our Savior. It's not always easy, and it's not always pleasant, but as we walk with the Lord, 
and his spirit and word are at work in each of us, this is what will happen. Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I preached on that extensively a few weeks back, so I don't want to spend too much time there, but it's important for us to remember this. A, we have to be moving forward. Day by day, transformed and conformed into the image of our Savior. If we're not moving forward, we're going backwards. There is no standing still. Second, as we are being transformed or conformed into the image of Jesus, this means that we will live like he did. A lot of people get the idea, and I know I harped on this before, but it's important for all of us. It's a good reminder. A lot of us get this idea, well, I've received Christ as Savior. I go to church. I'm good. That's the beginning. That's where it starts. Day by day. Following Jesus doesn't just mean, well, he got to go to heaven, so I get to go to heaven. It means this is how he lived, so that's how I want to live. This is how he loved people, so that's how I want to love people. This is how he was compassionate on those who needed compassion, so that's how I want to be compassionate on those who need compassion. This is how he dealt with sin and lies, so that's how I want to deal with sin and lies. Now, he will always do it better than we will. But as we grow, we should become more and more like him. We will all live as sacrificial servants because that's what our master taught us. Now, as we are transformed and conformed to the image of our Savior, a second thing will happen, and that is we will experience the same things he experienced. Now, we will always do this with his grace and strength at work in us. A couple of great places for that. Romans 8, 31 through 39 and 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. But we will still experience similar things. This is another lie that has permeated the big C church. That has permeated Christendom as a whole. That if you are a follower of Jesus, you will always be healthy. You will always be rich. You can name and claim whatever it is you want. And if that was true, man would be, be a bunch of spoiled brats. But it's not true. It is a lie. And if you ever want to know if a teaching is a lie, one of the things you can do is go, okay, well, can we apply it in our world, in the first world that we live in, the Western society? Well, can they apply it in a third world country? Right? I dare you as a missionary to go into some back remote village in Africa and tell them, well, the reason you all live in stick huts and walk around in loincloths is because you don't have enough faith. If you would just name it, God would give you a, a new private jet or God would give you a mansion. Oh, you know, you don't really have a disease. That's all in your mind. What you should really do is claim your health in Jesus' name. No, what we should do is go share the gospel with them that they need Jesus in order to go to heaven and then we can dig them a well because what they really need is clean water. 
right? That doctrine does not work in other places. It doesn't work here either because it is a lie from the pit of hell. Remember how I told you he will do anything to blind us from the truth of the gospel. That includes perverting the gospel to make us think something else other than the truth. And the truth is Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And he rose from the grave. And he did not promise us a life of wealth and prosperity, not in the material sense. What did he promise us? John 15, 18 through 21. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. You want to know if you're a follower of Christ? What does the world think of you? If you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, remember the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. You guys know I love to talk about the verses we don't cross-stitch on pillows. Here's one of them. The world hated you. It hated me. Why is that not on grandma's couch when you go visit? Right? We like some of the passages I just mentioned, Romans 8, 31 through 39. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who gave us his only son, how will he not with him freely give us all things? We love that promise. I love that promise. I cling to that promise. 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Yes, Lord, thank you. Now, my son, my daughter, I just want you to know the moment you step out that door, they will hate you if you're following me. Oh, well, um, I don't like that one. Anybody else like that one? I don't like that one. That's not the promise we put on the pillow. It's a promise nonetheless. And it's not fun. You ever been hated for your faith? It's not fun. But I'll tell you what. Once I get over the emotional reaction, because that's always what happens first with me. I I react emotionally. Once I calm down, God calms me down, or my wife. Then I'll look at it and I'll go, well, if they hate me because I love Jesus, fine. They can hate me. I'm not going to stop loving Jesus. John 16, 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Not might, not could, not possibly In the world, you will have tribulation. All of those guys and gals that preach this prosperity garbage have to ignore so many parts of the Bible. You're telling me Abraham didn't have enough faith? Or David didn't have enough faith? Or, in all honesty, if you took the prosperity gospel and tried to apply it to Scripture, Jesus didn't have enough faith. Because he died. And if he had enough faith, he would be wealthy and healthy, and the cross never would have happened. And if that thing was true, we would all be condemned to hell for eternity. Praise God, it's a lie. And that we have been given 
the truth that Jesus loves us. And part of that truth is there will be tribulation. But be of good cheer, my dear brothers and sisters. I have overcome the world. Right? I don't... At first, I react. You guys know I'm a fairly emotional person. Okay, that's a lie. I'm a really emotional person. One of the things that I've been working on over the last year and a half is realizing that I am not my emotions. My emotions happen, but they do not define me. I'm not doing very well. But I'm working on it, right? I'm aware that this is something I need to work on. But I always, I always have usually some kind of emotional reaction. But when I calm down, when I can look at it through the perspective of God's word, and sometimes it takes minutes, sometimes it takes weeks, But when I get there, I can go, all right, that's okay. I might not like it, but we're going to get to the other side because God is good. He's going to take care of it. It might not be a fun journey, but I will get there. Not because of me, but because of him. Ah, the promises of the word of God. Verse 41. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. I've always loved this illustration. Uh, When... Uh, when we speak of hypocrisy, because it teaches us that it is so easy for us to see what is wrong or sinful or out of place with others when we are blinded, sometimes by choice or sometimes by ignorance, to our own issues. Whatever the case, before we can help someone else remove the speck from their own eye, we have to remove or have God remove the log that is in our own eye. Anything else is pure hypocrisy. Let's go back to David and the sin with Bathsheba. We talked about that earlier. David had an adulterous affair. David committed murder to try to cover up the adulterous affair. Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, you know what, David? There was this guy and all he had was one little lamb and he loved that little lamb and treated it like his daughter. And his neighbor, who was wealthy and had flocks upon flocks, had a visitor come, but he didn't want to kill one of his own. So he went over to the neighbor and he stole that one little lamb, that little lamb that his neighbor just loved so much. And he killed it and fed it to his guest. And David was enraged. That man will die for his sin. Look at the speck in his eye. And he'll restore uh, whatever it was. I think it was sevenfold to the neighbor he stole from. Now, I don't know how he was going to kill him and then have him restore sevenfold. Maybe he got that out of order. And Nathan looked at him and said, David, you are that man. What? Huh? You have everything. God has given you everything. And you took the one thing Uriah had, and then you murdered him. Uriah, who is a faithful servant of yours. Uriah, who's out there risking his life to fight for you. And David was broken. He was really quick to recognize what was wrong with this hypothetical man. 
but could not see the log in his own eye. I told you I was going to tell you a pickleball story. So I played a tournament on Friday. Yeah, that was fun. Um, actually, it really was. I had a really good time, and, and I actually played well. Just so you know, in my mind, I played well. The, the scores at the end of the games didn't reflect that. Um, but I thought I played pretty well. I, it was just one of those days. It didn't matter what I hit. It came back. didn't matter how good it was. It came back. But I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I hurt myself. It was a great tournament. But here's the fun thing. In between games, I would go watch other people play. And knowing at the time, um, God put this on my heart, you know, because I was, this is coming up. I'm preaching this today. That I would sit there and I would watch other people play. And I'm like, well, that was out. Why did he hit that? Well, that was a terrible shot. The person was right there. You know, and I'm sitting there watching other people play, pointing out everything that was wrong with their game. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God put it on my heart and he goes, um, <clears throat> why can't you do that when you're playing? It's a really good question. I don't know. Because it's really easy to see the speck in someone else's eye and not pay attention to the log in our own eyes. I was like, woohoo, I have an illustration for Sunday. The word hypocrisy means this. The Greek word is hypocrites, and I pronounce that terrible, but it's an actor under an assumed role or character. It's an actor. It means to play a part. Anytime we put forth something that is inconsistent with who we are in Christ, we are being a hypocrite. Now, don't raise your hand because we are all in this boat, but this is not where God wants us to be. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. And what this is, is integrated wholeness of who we are in Christ. Body, soul, and spirit. Integrated wholeness, and it is the key to overcoming hypocrisy. How, then, is integrated wholeness of body, soul, and spirit accomplished in us so that we can avoid being hypocrites? And I think it's actually fairly simple. I call it the honest mirror. The honest mirror. And there are three ways to look into the honest mirror in order to remove the log from our own eye. Right? Mirrors, one thing, there's two things in the world that never lie. Toddlers and mirrors. Right? The other day, oh, Lydia's not in here. She was going to love that I share this story. The other day, one of the kids, because she's, she's working at a preschool now, um, one of the kids looked at her and said, why do you wear those? She goes, the glasses? She goes, yeah, why do you wear those glasses? And she goes, well, because if I don't wear the glasses, I can't see. Lydia's eyesight is horrid. If I put her glasses on, the whole world is blurry. Her, her eyesight is ten times worse than mine. Um, and the kid goes, I don't need glasses to see. She was like, thanks, you You know, no, she didn't do anything like that. But she's just like, I got roasted by a three-year-old. You know, I'm like, oh, that's what happened. Right? Because toddlers don't lie and neither do mirrors. You can look in the mirror all you want. And I can say to myself, wow, you know, my, my beard's really not all that gray. Now, if I look in the mirror, do I get to retain that delusion? Right? Oh, I must have lost a ton of weight. Man, huh, 
Nope. <laughs> I don't want to look in the mirror. Mirrors don't lie. So we need to look into the honest mirror. And there are three ways to do that. Number one, we look into the mirror of the word. James 1, 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. You want to work towards integrated wholeness in your life? Get into the word of God and let God deal with you. And me. I promise he will. But you can't look into it, right? Like if you leave today and go, well, you know, I don't have a problem with hypocrisy. You're missing the point. We all have a problem with hypocrisy. Granted, some people are a little farther along than others. Some people are doing a little better than others. But we all have an issue with it at times. I promise. And if you don't, we should go out to Blue Mesa so I can watch you walk on water. Thank you. Somebody got it. All right. The mirror, number two, the mirror of spirit-directed self-reflection. Ooh, this one's fun too. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, is a prayer you can pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So you look into the word and you let the word of God show you. Then you pray and you ask the spirit to show you. Now the spirit's often going to show you through the word of God. The spirit may show you through the third mirror, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But the spirit is going to be involved in showing you what you need to work on. Or really, more accurately, what he wants to work on in you. Then we have the third mirror. The mirror of others. Now this one, you only use with people you know and love and trust. And who you know, know and love and trust you. Don't walk up to somebody on the street or at the park and go, Hey, can you do me a favor? Yeah, what's up? Could you tell me what's wrong with me? Now some of us would really like that if other people ask because we could identify it. No, don't do that. That's judging and condemning. We don't want that. But it's somebody you know and you love and you trust. You can ask them, all right. And I, I do this with my wife sometimes. She'll see me, I'll, I'll react to something or I'll say something and I'll ask her later, um, was I wrong? Too often the answer is yes. And I have to go apologize to somebody. But every now and then she'll be like, no, I, I think you responded appropriately. Oh, okay, good. I still need to apologize. <laughs> but, um, right, but somebody you know and you love and you trust. James 5, 16 and then 19 through 20. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. It is one of the least favorite parts of my job, but it also at times has been one of the most beneficial. When I see somebody in our church or who I know that is straying from the truth in some way, and God tells me to go talk to them. Now, I don't go up to that person and go, listen, brother, 
you got a big old speck in your eye, let's talk about it. But I can say, you know what, I've noticed that you're doing this. Or I notice that this is happening. And in the word, this is why God doesn't want us doing that. And had that person, now there's been a few times I've been cussed out. But there's been more times where the person looked at me and went, you know what? I didn't realize that was happening. Or I didn't realize I was responding to people that way. Or I didn't. And we pray together and help each other be accountable. And it's good for us. So that leads us to one of my favorite things in the world. The Johari window. Has anybody ever heard of the Johari window? I think there's a picture. I actually did a picture this week. If you've never heard of the Johari window, it has four panels or panes. The first one is what is known as open space. And that is something that's known to others and known to self, right? Everybody knows I'm I'm obnoxious. I know I'm obnoxious. It's not a secret, right? So that's part of my open space as well as a number of other things. Then you have number two, which is something that's known to others, but not known to self. This we call our blind spot. Our blind spots we need help with. That's the point of the whole thing we just went through about the honest mirror, right? If other people can see it and I can't, I want someone to tell me, right? Let's have a bit of a crude illustration. If my fly is ever down and I don't notice it before it's time to preach, please tell me. Because if you know and I don't, you're going to save me a lot of embarrassment. Please. But that's part of what happens. We get these blind spots in our lives and we need the word of God, the spirit of God, and the love, compassion, and ministry of others to deal with those blind spots. Number three, it's something that's known to self but not others. This is our hidden space or a facade. This is where hypocrisy comes from. Now, don't get me wrong. There are things you don't know about me. They are few. There's very few things you don't know about me because I literally come up here and just every week tell you what's wrong with me. Um, There's very few things you don't know about me, but there are things like some private things in our family that we don't talk about. And it's not because we're trying to hide them or because we're ashamed of them. It's because it's none of your business. I love you. Right? But there are some things that you don't need to know. They're not, these are not like the proverbial skeletons in the closet. Yeah, I remember that time we as a family murdered those people up at the lake. No, that's not it. There's just private things in the family that aren't for everybody. And I always tell you, you can ask me anything you want. I will always answer you honestly. However, if the answer is it's none of your business, that will be my honest answer. Because there are a few things that fall in that category. Then you have number four, and that's something that's not known to self and not known by others, right? Nobody knows, that's just unknown. Maybe I'm doing something that isn't right, but I don't notice it, and nobody else seems to notice it either. Okay, well, there's not much you can do about that one. There's a lot you can do about number two and number three. There's a lot you can do about your blind spot. Go look into one of the three aspects of the honest mirror. And there's a lot you can do about the facade, because the facade, unfortunately is usually that we need some sort of help or we're struggling with some kind of sin 
or we're dealing with a problem or an issue or or mental health problem or something else and we just well we don't want anybody to know we want everyone to think that everything's great and so we put on the facade guys we're a family we're not supposed to do that now i get maybe you don't want to come up here on sunday morning and go, all right everybody here's what's wrong i get that but you can come talk to me i won't tell anybody if you don't want to talk to me, that's fine. You can go talk to somebody else. The person sitting next to you, one of our elders, whoever. It doesn't matter who. Just don't go through it alone. And unfortunately, we all too often put on that facade because we are afraid of how people will react. How are you doing? Everything's fine. Lies. Just so you know, I usually know when I ask you all about that, I usually know when you're lying. You want to know how I know? Because I'm really good at lying about it myself. I am. One of my superpowers is the, the ability to pretend that everything's okay and make other people believe it. It's one of my superpowers. And if you don't believe me, ask my wife. I have told her before. Well, today it's going to come out. Well, what's that? Everyone's going to think everything's fine. Nobody's going to know what's really going on. And I'm really good at it. I'm not proud of it. I'm just really good at it. But when God has worked in our lives to help us remove the log from our eyeball, then we will be able to see clearly to help others with the speck in their eyeball. And I'll give you a wonderful example of that. Those in recovery from addiction. Right? We have several people in our church, myself included, who are recovering from various addictions. Right? Brother Roy won't mind me sharing this, but he, as you, many of you already know, God delivered him from being an alcoholic and did it in a miraculous way. I got a thumbs up from behind the door. Did it in a miraculous way. Guess what Roy does now? From time to time, God gives him the opportunity to minister to somebody else who's recovering from alcohol addiction. How awesome is that? Because God can take the worst parts of us and help us use that to minister to others. He's done the same thing for me, uh, both with my mental health stuff, my depression and anxiety, as well as because I'm a recovering porn addict. I There's been a lot of people that go, that come and talk to me simply because I'll admit it. I am not proud of it, not in the least. But God has taken one of the ugliest things about me and he's allowed me to love and walk through that sort of thing with other people. But that only happens after God yanks the log out of our eye. Because if we walk around with the log in our eye and we look at somebody else and go, don't worry, I can help you. No, it doesn't work. He deals with us first. And we're not getting to the last two verses I had planned for today. I just, it's not going to happen. The food smells good. And um, no, actually, I have like three more pages of notes to get through. And I'm just not going to do that to you this morning. So we'll, we'll, we'll tack it on because uh, next week's only a couple verses. So we'll see what happens. Um, the whole idea, though, of the good fruit 
the whole idea of being known by our fruit and having that as the evidence in our lives goes hand in hand with what we're talking about. Because if you have a log sticking out of your eye and you're trying to pretend everything's okay or you're trying to point out the speck in other people's eyes, the fruit of your life will contradict you. It will. Now, none of us wants to see that. None of us wants to believe that. But it's true. And we will dive into that in verse 43 next week. However, most of my conclusion still applies. One of the things that I love about our faith, so we're going to skip the next section and jump down to the conclusion on the slides, just so you know. Oh, man, you're so smart. It's that extra brain that's helping you, right? (laughs) I love that our faith is a rational and intelligent faith. Right? We're not asked to blindly follow Jesus, nor does he mince words. Right? Jesus did not promise us rainbows and unicorns. What he promised us is that if we followed him, he would work everything out. It might not be easy. It might not always be fun. But he promised to get us there. There's a song that's been working in my heart a lot yet. And I think I mentioned it last week. If you haven't listened to this song, it's your homework. Stephen Curtis Chapman, Don't Lose Heart. It's an amazing song. And it has just been... Um, um, if, if I'm not listening to it, it's playing in my mind. It's an incredible song. But we have amazing evidence from Scripture and history that when we follow Jesus, we're following the one true God. And as we follow him, and how we follow him, this will be evidence in our life. It's vital that we're empowered by God's Spirit, led by his word, so that we can follow him without hypocrisy. 1 Timothy 1.5 tells us that the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. The word for sincere there means without wax. It's one of my favorite Greek words. They used to make statues out of marble. And if you had a wealthy Roman or Greek citizen who bought a statue from you, and you were almost done with it, and clink, you knocked off the guy's ear. Well, you're not going to start over. You've spent weeks, months, who knows how long working on this, and all of a sudden the ear is gone. So what you would do is you would gather up all the marble dust and particles, and you would melt it into clear wax, and you would glue the ear back on with wax, and nobody could tell the difference if you did a good job. Roman, Greek, whoever bought it from you came, they go, oh, my statue's beautiful, I'm going to take it home. And they put it in their courtyard, and a nice warm July day comes around. And all of a sudden, why, why, why is my statue's ear on his shoulder? Because the, the wax would melt. So one of the things that they would do is they would sell statues as sincere work. In other words, it was a work without wax. No pretense. No hypocrisy. That is the life. That is the kind of faith we are called to in Christ. Sincere faith in Christ does not follow the blind and does not and does lead us to being conformed and transformed into the image of our Savior. And as we become more and more like our Savior, experiencing what he experienced, living as he lived, we will become less and less hypocritical, which will then allow us to minister to and help others. 
And what we're going to talk more about next week is ultimately this will be evidenced in our lives. It will be the fruit of our lives. But we'll leave verse 43 and 44 um, and 45 for next week. So I'm going to close with a couple questions that are always fun. The first one, is there anyone listening, somebody here, somebody who hears this recording, or someone who's joining us online who has not begun a journey of apprenticeship to Jesus? In other words, do you know Christ as Savior? If so, if you have not done this yet, you are being blinded by Satan. I don't want that for anybody. God wants so much better for you. And he loves you so much that he provided the way for you to gain sight through his son, Jesus Christ, and his death and resurrection. Because when we believe in him, he removes the blindness that Satan has caused, and God leads us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son, according to Colossians 1.13. So if there's anybody listening, I don't care where you are, tell me somehow if you need to begin a relationship with Christ. Today is the day. We were talking about this this morning. Um, Felix, the governor in Acts chapter 4, procrastinated himself into hell. Heard the gospel over and over and over again. But never received Christ as Savior. Don't let that be you. Number two. Can we look at ourselves and identify how we are each being transformed or conformed into the image of Jesus? Now that goes back to the fruit question. We'll see the fruit in our own lives or other people will see it in us. But we should all be growing. We're either, like I said earlier, we're either moving forward or we're moving backward. There is no stop. Number three. Oh, sorry. Are there any areas in our lives where we are being hypocritical? Don't answer out loud. We are currently online. If you're not sure, right, if there's part of you that goes, right, I can't really think of anything. I am so sorry for you. God is going to help you. I promise. I have a great story about that. I was first saved. I'd been saved, I don't know, four or five months. I was, um, we didn't have kids yet. We were going to a church. I was playing bass on the worship team. And, um, oh, I hate this story. Um, I was playing bass on the worship team. And one night we were running late for a Wednesday night. I was supposed to play bass that night. And I remember that morning I had gotten up. I was reading in the Bible. I think I was reading in Proverbs. And it was all these things about pride. And I was thinking, wow, you know, I know I haven't been a Christian for very long, but I think I've got this pride thing taken care of. first mistake I ever made in my life, right? No. It's one of the worst. I, I, I'm dead serious. So we were running late. We got to church late. It was about 10 minutes till 7. And a, brother, a dear brother in Christ, he was like, hey, man, you know, since you were running late, they asked me if I could step in. Don't worry about it. You, you know, you can just, you can relax and worship tonight. And, and, and I got it. So guess what? I, thank you, brother. I really appreciate that. I refused to sit in service. She was teaching the kids' class. I went and sat in there with her. And I moaned and complained and threw a little toddler fit for an hour. And on the way home, right, the steam was still rising out of my ears. 
Just heard that still, small voice. So, you don't have a problem with pride, huh? Oops. There's all areas in our lives we need to work on. I promise. But if you're not sure, be honest about it and go to the Lord. Look in the different parts of the honest mirror. Let God show you through his word, through his spirit, or through the loving counsel and correction of somebody that you know and trust. The fourth question, is there clear evidence or fruit in our lives that shows we are followers of Christ? It's always a great question for us to ask, but it'll be more pertinent next week when we talk about being known by our fruit. So as we close, I always say it. I'm just going to say it early tonight. Tonight? Wow. I'm hungry. Um, If you need something, if you need prayer, if there is a specific issue that in reference to what we talked about today or anything else that you need help with or you need counsel or you need prayer, um, please don't leave without asking for it. I'm not going to force you to do it. That's, that's not my style. But ask. We're here, or we're supposed to be here for each other. And if you don't tell us what's going on, just like if I don't tell you what's going on, we're not going to get the help we need. Isn't that silly? Wouldn't it be dumb to go to the doctor and go, yeah, you know, I think my leg's broken. I'm going to go to the doctor and you get to the doctor and the doctor goes, oh, well, what am I seeing you for today? Nothing. Everything's fine. Um, there's a bone sticking out of your leg. No, it's not a big deal. Put a bandaid on it. But why are we that dumb about other things in our lives? This isn't to put anybody down. I am the chief of the dumb, I promise. But why would we ever come here or be part of a church family and try to hide all of that from each other. And I get it. I said it. Not everybody needs to know everything. I understand that. But none of us should ever go through anything alone. That's why God brought us together. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. And I know we all love you. And I'm thankful for your love and grace for each of us. Thank you for the beautiful things you reveal to us in your word. I pray that you would help each of us to take these things to heart. Lord, that your spirit would work on them in our hearts so that we can listen and grow and understand. Father, I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, listening, online, whatever, that you would speak to them by your spirit. Let them know of your great love and what you've done to save them and the horrific consequences if they ignore that offer. And Father, for all of us, I know none of us are perfect and you have a work to do in each of us. I pray that you would help us, help me, take whatever step I need to take that's next so that we can glorify you in every part of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.